Welcome to Health Fail, where we explore failure in healthcare from the highly publicized to the never before told stories of failures that have birthed healthcare transformation and innovation. I'm your host, Zach Jiwa. And I'm co-host Stephen Cutberth. For our first episode, we sat down with Dr. Mona Siddiqui, Chief Data Officer of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services at South by Southwest to discuss how she experienced failure in her personal and professional life. If you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend you hit pause right now and go listen to it. Before we get into our next conversation, we are going to go over some quick ground rules. Health Fail will alternate episodes featuring an intimate conversation on failure with an influential leader in healthcare, followed by an episode featuring a conversation between Stephen and I regarding current events in healthcare and the health fails we are currently seeing. I just love it when you say health fail there. Health, health, health fail. Fail. That's <laughs> the only time that I get my southern accent in. I yeah, can't say, how are you supposed to say fail? Fail. fail. A little Texas over Health here. fail. Health fail. All right. <clears throat> so this week we're going to discuss an interesting article titled Healthcare 2030, Four Economic Scenarios by Fritz Heese and David Fries. I hope it's Fries. Maybe it's Fries. <laughs> that makes me hungry. From Oliver Weinman Health. This was published a little over a month ago, but given healthcare's rising percentage of GDP, currently at 18%, and the current political conversations on healthcare in the U.S., it's really timely. Absolutely. What did you see in that article? Uh, you know, I found it to be really interesting, actually. Um, so the authors kind of lay out four potential scenarios for the future of healthcare uh, in, in 10 years, essentially. And I think each one is unique and interesting, and that's what I wanted to, wanted to kind of dive deeper into. Um, the first one they really lay out is around essentially the status quo continuing, um, which which sounds crazy in 10 years, but it's basically what's happened in the last 10 years. Um, then they talk see, about... I don't see how... I mean, nobody thinks that's sustainable. Everybody that's talking yeah. about it. Oh, but of yeah. course, you know, when we go back to 2009, it wasn't sustainable on the path that we were. So but, I don't remember where we were in 2009, but <laughs> here we are, 18%. And by the way, um, Health Fail is brought to you uh, by Topo Chico Mineral Water. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> this is our drink of choice. So if you hear us sipping on uh, on stuff, uh, we have pride in Austin, Texas. We are pretentious our about our carbonated beverages in Austin. It's There's got, no question about it. You know, it's got a, uh, I don't know if we can talk about a brand like this, but uh, it's got a particular effervescence. The bubbles, I think, are compressed in this glass bottle. So sorry for those listeners who uh, hear us sipping. We're drinking Topo Chico here in the worldwide headquarters of the Karis Group today. All right, back to the show. Yeah, so I mean, maybe we just talk about this this first scenario. Um, what would it be like if healthcare stayed the same for the next 10 years? I mean, it sounds impossible because there's so much political conversation right now on this topic. And But, but what if it did? Okay, so the question is, um, you know, as a percentage of GDP, can we sustain, um, you know, 6% growth or 4% growth? Um, that would be an interesting number to go back and see have we have we increased four percent or what it, what is it but listen as you creep the economy's growing mm -hmm. in the u.s the debt is increasing we're the government's borrowing more and more money so i think we can sustain the the growth unfortunately um <laughs> if there's no you know cataclysmic <clears throat> change or if we you know some of these other scenarios uh don't play out but i think listen we get to 20 percent gdp Gosh. healthcare um I, I think the entire economy starts to collapse if we're spending that kind of money 
um, on healthcare. That's that's bold to say the entire economy, but I, th- I think we've been saying this for the last ten years, maybe the last twenty years. Well, I just think from a from a communication standpoint, it's funny, but the number eighteen doesn't sound as bad as number twenty. It's like if you buy something that's nineteen ninety nine. Like, that's not that bad. If it's 20 bucks, it's a little bit more. And I really do think that once we hit 20%, that's going to be the topic of conversation across the board. And I just don't know how that could continue. Right. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't think the next 10 years we see the status quo. And I don't know that it's just because, you know, some analysts said that this is what it could be. I think there are things that are changing in our environment, um, in healthcare in particular, uh, you know, the demographics changing, um, you know, the the economy is changing in ways that are, are really going to change this. And I guess we should say too, in in this article, which which you should read, we'll include a link to it in the show notes. But they don't necessarily advocate for any of the four. They're just kind of laying out these are four possibilities that you know could occur by twenty thirty. So um, I think that first one is is unlikely. I would say. Uh, to say the least. But maybe I listen to this in 10 years and nothing changed and I'll be a little bit sad. Yeah, I think, and, and the status quo at the end of the day, uh, if, I, if I read what they're saying is, um, no, they're not, they're not actually saying this. They're saying the status quo is growth. Uh, what, what they don't really talk about per se is that it stays the same. The economy grows and somehow we sit, yeah. we stay at uh, 18% GDP. So that's kind of an option or a thought that they left out or maybe it's bundled into the triumph of value and the incumbent led moving on to the second scenario healthcare is a nonprofit zone it's not going to happen in our pseudo capitalistic <clears throat> economy um i mean what they're what they're calling out i, I shouldn't say it's not going to happen um bernie gets elected you never know well i mean I, what they're saying <laughs> is you know it, by a non-profit no profit yeah. zone yeah. is that we're going to go toward medicare for all yeah um, I think politically that is a possibility, although, um, I think it's a way maybe to get elected, but yeah. the powers that be who are our top lobbyists in the country, um, it's, you know, yeah. lobbyists get people elected and the lobbyists that are funding, um, the elections are coming from the payer and provider side. And I think that's one of the things that's concerned me. I mean, I've only been in a career for 20 years and it's, it's been healthcare. Um, but what I've seen in the last 20 years and maybe dip into before I was in healthcare, before I was a, a professional, um, we, we look at the oscillation and the, the market has continued to grow and the political winds have blown either to the providers or to the payers. And we've gone back and forth and back and forth. And I feel like um, if we elect someone who's advocate of Medicare for all, first of all, the lobbyists are going to get involved yeah. and we might shift back mm-hmm. to, um, uh, to, you know, someone else getting a bigger pot. Although the ni- dynamics in the market are, are kind of interesting with the number of with the number of changes in the players that are changing in that provider payer spectrum. Mm-hmm. I mean, with, with Obamacare, um, with the Affordable Care Act, what we saw was a lot of providers become payers. 
Yeah. Right. And yeah, we yeah. saw a lot of UPMC, payers. Baylor Scott and White. You can go down the list. Right. Presbyterian. And, yeah. and we saw a lot of payers become providers. The biggest example of that is you know United Health Group, United Healthcare. Um, Optum, they're just buying physician practices. Even Aetna bought CVS. It's a little bit different, but well, that's an innovator. Yeah, that's an integration. Yeah, I was going to say horizontal inno- innovator vertical. play, but it's really an integration play. Yeah. Um, it's a you know PBM play um, to try to manage and control costs. But uh, anyway, PBM just, means pharmacy benefits managers. Mm-hmm. Mom, I know you're listening. Oh, there you go. We got one listener. <laughs> so healthcare is a no, no profit zone. Yeah. Um, here was here's what I was going to say about that. Even if we get to a Medicare for all, uh, even if we elect someone and and Congress passes Medicare for all, I don't think that they actually end up doing it for all. Mm-hmm. It's a Medicare available for all, but they're not going to kill the private insurers and they're not going to tell yeah. um, uh, employers what to do. There's just too big of a lobby. So I think my mind, and this is where I think that they should have included uh, a number five, maybe, which is a two-tier model. And I think if we end up in a scenario where it looks like we're going for Medicare for all, we're going to get to a two-tier model where there's the Medicare for everyone who can't afford private insurance, and then private insurance reigns the day in the employer groups. <clears throat> and and Isn't yeah. that what so that's... it's not it's not going to be Canada. It's yeah. not going to be the UK. It's so that's what be... I was going to say. You, the UK is more like that though, right? There's government insurance, but there are also alternatives yeah. that you can buy it. I think the reality, uh, and you know this this really comes goes back to T. R. Reed's book. Um, what was it? Healing, I have that book. Healing of America. I have it on my bedside table. I need to finish it. Analyzes. I think what it looks like is perhaps a Medicare for all mm-hmm. with, and this this might require another political swing, but it's a Medicare for all who can't get insurance through their employer, and that Medicare for all ends up becoming privatized uh, along the lines of the German model. Um, I don't think the German model would be uh, terrible for the U.S., but the problem with any of those writings is no one is really comparing the size and scope of yeah. the U.S. population to what can what can be realistic here. But I don't I don't see healthcare ever going to Fully. one full yeah. um, you know Medicare for all or, or no profit zone. I think what you said about the, that Germany that actually might suffice folks who who are pushing for it to say that everyone gets healthcare coverage. It just may not be exactly equal across the board. Um, but I also wonder. Since the U.S., from my understanding at least, pays so much more for much of the innovation when it comes to at least pharma, how, how would that affect the system? Because then we wouldn't be subsidizing innovations in medicine for the world. It becomes a problem. Listen, I mean, yeah. that, that is why we pay so much for drugs is yeah. because, because we're subsidizing the rest of the world. Yeah. And I think that's one area that we need to think about, but we do not want to stifle innovation in pharma. No. Right, yeah. and however you define pharma, you have a lot of experience and background in pharma. <laughs> They're no, no longer my clients, yeah, but, right. uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's um, that's always the argument. And if you look at it, in my opinion, at least, there, there actually are there are medications out there that are expensive, but they solve they, they cure diseases. So you might spend. There's one that is what's the one that cures like uh, hepatitis B or C? It's like eighty thousand dollars, right? But it actually cures the condition for that individual. So is it worth it? I mean, that's that's pretty. That, that, that's, a, that's huge for that individual. And I don't think that would have happened had there not been larger financial incentives. Yeah, I just think we'd have to figure out 
how we would substitute. Yeah. I, th- I think pharma would end up being carved out in yeah. in a way that we could figure out how to continue to subsidize it. Yeah. Um, capitalism reigns supreme when it comes to, to pharma. And the money that we have in America, um, funding other nations um, is, is something that we've done for a really, really long time. Well, and we talked about this with Niall Brennan, which will be a future episode. Um, is that our next episode? I think next is Razu and then Niall. Um, <clears throat> but Niall talked about this at South by, and he was kind of villainizing one player. Is and it, it was hospitals. Vilified. Vilify? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Sorry. Uh, vilifying uh, one, one player in his hospitals. And I don't Sorry, think that's Rachel. necessarily fair. Well, they're all villains in their own regard. Yeah. Right? I mean, they're, again, in a capitalist society, they're all out to make money. Yeah. So, um, and making money is not a bad thing. We're sitting here in a for-profit organization and we need to make money. Um, it's to what end and to whose detriment. Yeah. And I think our problem is, is we're so capitalized, um, you know, in the market, but we're not actually caring for people. So where is the model that we actually provide really good care for people? Um, and you know, there's still enough profit to go around. And I think it's, it's probably one of the, the latter two, mm-hmm. um, models that they suggest or, or directions, which is the triumph of value, which is led by the incumbents or the triumph of value led by innovation. So wh- where do you think, where do you come down on those two ideas? It's almost like, it's almost like these guys at Oliver Weinman, they, they changed the, the game halfway through their, their you know, conversation here um, because the first two aren't really, uh, you know, they're not talking about quality or value or anything like that. They're, they're really talking about um, economic models of funding healthcare. And then number three and number four, we're talking about, you know, the triumph of value in, in one direction or the other, which is fine that they wrote the paper and, and people can well, I think that's a part is. of the publication too. They, they have a lean toward value in healthcare. Um, and that's probably why they, they do that. They even hit on value in, in the first two scenarios, like wh- how that would play out, um, which is something I hope to learn more about as I start a program, uh, master's program in value. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a topic that's obviously, a lot of people see it as one of the best alternatives to a fee-for-service. So anyway, I think that's why they are hitting yeah, on that more in this in this piece. Maybe a topic for another time, but yeah. we really need we to should. define that, We really that, need to talk, We should talk about that. We should define value. Maybe we'll get we should get Elizabeth. Dr. Ticeberg. Yeah, there you go. Once she's my teacher. Uh, yeah, maybe, to talk yeah, about value. Bring her on the podcast. I can tell you that we use the term value yeah. throughout this um, industry, and it means something very different for yeah. for various folks. But I guess to answer your question, I, I, I this is probably a cop out, but I don't think it ends up being one or the other. I think that uh, I think that the innovation is a big part of that, and I think that there will be groups that come in and drive change, whether that's in Silicon Valley or it's in Austin or New York. I mean, there you look at there's Oscar Health and PillPack, and you know, there's 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 already a number of I think tech companies or, or non-traditional healthcare companies that are driving innovation. So I think they're going to play a role, no question about it. But I don't know if the incumbents will end up buying them and well, just that's... absorbing them and then they become the incumbent and the incumbent never leaves. I don't think we're going to lose all of the major players in healthcare. I think you're right. And that's what I was going to say. Um, but I think it's I think it's a little bit different. This is this is what this article doesn't talk about that I think is really freaking important to consider. We really need to look at um, who the customers are 
uh, in the future. And mm -hmm. so I was reading this, um, uh, you can reference this in our show notes, but um, millennials, this was March 1st, 2018, millennials projected to overtake baby boomers as America's largest generation. Um, that has to be a factor mm -hmm. in the conversation of what's going to happen to U.S. healthcare, because uh, you know, you had me speak on a panel last year, year before last, where I was considered a millennial. I still don't buy it, but you know, <laughs> whether wh wherever you figure out the range, if it's you know twenty year olds to forty year olds, or it's you know thirty six year olds to uh, whatever that range is, we're not going to have the status quo. We, we're already not having yeah. accepting the status quo. Who likes to go to the doctor? Who wants to go to the hospital? I mean, I, I just recently opted for a direct primary care doctor because I want a doctor who's using a digital app that I can text and I communicate. She communicated with me today on my lab results, right? So we're already driving change in that model of, of at least primary care. Um, if, if no one's familiar with the direct primary care model, Go read uh, Dave Chase um, and see what he's doing with Health Rosetta, but um, but we're not going to have it. I think my parents, so the generation um, before me, uh, the Boomers and Gen X, and I I consider myself part of Gen X. So yeah, yeah. you know where wherever that falls, people that are certainly twenty who are healthy and they don't care about healthcare right now to people who are 50 are already pushing the envelope on um, really what they would describe as scenario uh, three here, the triumph of value innovator led. But it's not that the innovators are gonna lead, and that's what I disagree with here. The innovators aren't going to lead the consumers, the patients, mm. I'm going to lead it because I'm not going to put up with the status quo of yeah. healthcare. And I think when hospitals, uh, the incumbents, start to see their their people leave over alternatives, um, that's what's going to change. And sure, the you know the the people with the biggest bucks are going to go buy them. Um, you know, you mentioned Oscar. I don't see Oscar as really being that innovative as a health insurance company, but there are a number of, uh, they're, they're the most well-known <laughs> yep, yep. innovative health insurance company. And sure, someone's going to buy them up um, or, you know, they'll, they'll become the, the Ubers of healthcare uh, and, and transform the industry. But I just don't give the incumbent-led model without the incumbents making a bunch of acquisitions I don't see it happening. Now, I also think that uh, what we may see here in the future is the government get involved in what may look like um, oh, uh, antitrust, uh -huh. right? And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, government's already stuck their fingers in the, the Aetna C CVS deal. I think they're probably paying attention to UHG, um, when we start to get into monopolies and stuff like that, yeah. I think they're probably going to step in like they did with AT&T, and that may um, break some stuff up. That happened in the, I, I can't remember which health system it was. Um, so UPMC? Seems now, I think yeah. it was in Idaho where the payer provider was one for most of the, the population there, um, and they stepped in and broke that up. You know, I'm thinking back 2010, 2011 time frame. But I think as acquisitions and mergers happen, uh, that's where the Department of Justice is at DOJ that gets involved. Yeah. Well, I think 
I hear you on the point you were making about it being consumer-led, and I do think that's already happening. Um, you know, my, my brother's 19, and uh, <clears throat> he, he's never going to a doctor. I mean, that's, it, it, you know, they, 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 he wants to Snapchat his doctor. I mean, he, that's just not something that's in his, his, his repertoire, really. And I think I'm so even becoming Snapchat's that you're Snapchat's going to be the Hey, you never know. Hey, it deletes. There's they're, a, right? They're, they're looking know, for There's some things there. Uh, but I, I think that, I think that, we're basically being conditioned to convenience and ease and it's not really convenient or easy to go to the doctor and right. to sit in a hospital room and deal with medical bills. It's just, it's a, it's a total mess. And so I think, I think that they're going to have to change. I don't think it's an option in 10 years to, to have the same system where you're faxing pieces. And I just don't see how it works. For everything that's not emergency and acute care, we're yeah. going to figure out how to get it better, faster, cheaper. Yeah. And I think the other the other part of this is um, we need to think about who's controlling the dollars, right? Mm-hmm. And w- what were the stats we looked at earlier? You know, employers own 57% of the market. Um, those costs keep going up. Employers are going to drive a, a lot of that change from their own. I, I don't know. You know, I like what, what we do here, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, being part of health sharing which is you know for most of our listeners they probably have no idea what health sharing is Uh, (laughs) another topic to discuss yeah um, it was it was really the the christian ministries that started the health sharing model and now we're seeing health sharing um evolve out of kind of this expression of i'm tired of paying well it's the unsustainable model of buying individual health insurance which nobody can afford it and nobody's happy with what they get whenever they do buy it. So, um, you know, how do we share our healthcare costs across a community? And then I become effectively a cash pay patient. And cash is king. Doctors want cash. Doctors don't want to wait to, you know, for 120 days to get paid. Mm -hmm. And I think employers are also picking up on that. We're seeing that trend that employers or self-insured employers are taking the onus of let's find better, more efficient care, uh, especially in the, um, in, at the entry point of healthcare, and then doing contracts with um, the acute care and maybe specialty hospitals and providers to, to do that. So with the exception of, an, of emergency care, we're going to have, you know, this model of cash is king in the front end, and I want better uh, care. We might see, you know, our friends across town, Medici, yeah. um, you know, that the, you said Snapchat, I think they like to be known as the Skype or something like that. Uh, uh, WhatsApp. Yeah, WhatsApp, WhatsApp, WhatsApp of That's healthcare, yeah. right? That's not just, um, you know, let me tag my physician so I can get a prescription, but let me journey through my healthcare journey by doing everything that I can by chat and then I'll show up at the, the office to have a measurement or get a shot. I mean, and you've also got, um, well, you had the great hope of, of Theranos, which we know what happened, <laughs> but we've got, we've got companies like Cautionary Ever- tale there. Everly Well and yeah. maybe even yeah. the CVS Minute Clinics Helix. here. We have HEB, yeah. which we can walk into and I think soon we'll be able to take um, all of our all of our labs and get it done. You know, I was I was really fascinated. I just recently um, had my annual checkup with my direct primary care doctor, and we did everything there, but she didn't do a lab draw for me, and she just sent sent me the the slip, and I showed up at eight o'clock the next morning um, to 
CPL, right? Clinical mm-hmm. pathology yeah. labs. Yeah. And they were so quick and efficient. Yeah. Um, and so next time I need labs done, I'm not going to have to go see uh, Dr. Katrini. She's just going to send me, she's using an app called Spruce, which is, you know, neat to chat with. She's just going to send me um, an order to the CPL. Form and you go to and I'm just going to show yeah. up for 20 minutes, have my lab drawn um, and be done. But how far are we really um, from, you know, having all of our labs, you know, sent to our home with some kind of, you know, biosensor that can collect that stuff. And that's the, you know, that's where technology really is going to come into play. I think it's a, I think it's a combination of three and four. I agree. I think it's going to be driven by the consumer demand um, and it's not going to be one or the other. And you know what, if policy changes and we're in a Medicare for all, or Medicare for some, or Medicare for most. Um, I like the idea that you could buy Medicare if you wanted to, but when you add that many patients, um, people, to the roles, and you have the cost pressure being pushed down on providers, providers aren't going to want to take Medicare, and so you're going to have, I shouldn't say providers aren't going to take Medicare. There's going to be a class of providers that take Medicare, and it's a low-margin business. It's a race to the bottom. And then there will be the premium for, you know, any employer who wants to provide a really, you know, valuable, um, you know, perk to their employees, and they'll go to Mm. tier two is what I think will happen. The problem is this is 2030. Will it happen in 10 years? Um, I mean, that's what this article is talking about, 2030. Will that much transformation happen in 10 years? I can absolutely see the front line of direct primary care transforming the entry point. Um, and we've seen in Texas, I don't know what it's like in the rest of the country, but you've got these pop-up ERs all over the place. Are they going to take, um, are they going to take the front line of emergency care? Really does go back to, um, the innovator's prescription. If you go back to, um, uh, Oh, what's his name? I'm drawing a blank on the author there. We'll get that. We'll add it to the show notes. Yeah. Uh, out of Harvard. Um, Christensen. There you go. Oh, yeah. Uh, Clayton Christensen. We're, it, it, I read that book in 2009, I think, or 2008 when it was published. And if you go back and read it, and I haven't done that lately, but I start to think about um, some of the things that he wrote in the Innovator's Prescription, and we're starting to see that. Uh, we're starting to see a lot of that happen. And so... In 10 years from now, it'll be 20 years since he published that book. It, it, I would love to see an, a case study in 10 years from now on how far we've come toward that. Because it was, it was really written as a blueprint for yeah. how we transform healthcare. <clears throat> I think um, I tend to be more positive, but when it comes to healthcare, my pessimism comes out. And I don't know. I think it will be different in t- 10 years, but I don't know that it will be as different as I'd like it to be or, or as it could be. When you're talking about a phone or a computer or whatever, it's a lot. It's I don't know if it's easier to innovate, but I think it kind of is. Like there's, there's just less regulation and there's less on the line. Like if you screw up a phone, you're not potentially killing someone. You're not, you know, it, it doesn't have the same kind of effect. So I, I think that just the nature of the industry and the nature of the fact that people are receiving care or not receiving care is going to slow it down. And the government's involved, obviously. Like, what, what, you know, what did we say? It's a around 20, 40%, I think, between Medicaid and Medicare, um, folks are on that. So 
I don't think that in 2030 it's going to be completely different and, you know, revolutionized. But I do think that there will be a difference. And I think I will be able to text with my doctor more. I think I'll be able to send in my bills easier. I'll be able to to, to do all those things in a, in a simpler manner. I wonder, though, will there be... We're already seeing, you know, there's 50 different apps that you talk to your doctor. Is that going... It has to, at some point, turn into maybe three to five, right? Like, I, I don't think that that's going to work long term. So I wonder if that what's going to happen there. And is it going to be like Apple who leads the way? Is it going to be the Amazon Berkshire, you know, that that partnership? Um, those are the questions I, I wonder about, like what's going to end up being the. Yeah. So, I mean, Apple is almost ubiquitous yeah. in, in the and country. We both have Apple watches and iPhones and AirPods. Well, and... I think to that end, it's about consumers collecting their own data and being able to yeah, share oh, yeah, yeah. and right I, i've spent half my career trying to crack that nut or, or at least a good portion of, of my career there i think apple has an opportunity and an edge there but i'll tell you as recently as last week as i was as i was uh heading into to my you know primary care doc you know she wanted to get all my records and you know i've had i won't discuss my health issues <laughs> at least this time yeah. maybe maybe later but I've lived in Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, Washington State, Louisiana, uh, you know, saw a couple of doctors in Washington, D.C. My health records are all over the place and getting the things that are meaningful. First of all, remembering the things that are meaningful. And as I was going through my medical history with her, I was like, oh, yeah, I need to go to Baton Rouge and get that cardiology appointment. She's like, why'd you go to a cardiologist in Baton Rouge? And, you know, I had to tell her the story and she's like, don't you think that's important that I know and that we have those records? But, um, you know, so I was like, oh, don't worry about it. I can pull up my epic my chart and find it. There was nothing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was nothing in my chart. So, I mean, the I'm not going to blame it on the EHR vendors, except for they are absolutely worthless whenever it comes to, you know, the the, the value that I'd have. It's not for scheduling appointment and paying yeah. bills. It's like, give me my records. And, uh, and so we're still in a fax world when it comes to providers. They don't want to play. They don't want you to leave their shop to go to another shop. So they don't want to share records. Yeah. But I think Apple could, um, could certainly... Uh, enable um, a large part of what we're talking about. Once I do get all my records in one place, now I can make some some of my own choices and decisions. You mentioned ABC or what are they calling it now? Haven, yeah. <clears throat> the um, the Berkshire uh, Amazon Berkshire Chase yeah. um, uh, venture. I think the opportunity there is to transform um, employer sponsored care and employer-based benefits and care. I, if I were a betting man, and of course we can all read if, if we care about what, what they're projected to do. But, you know, in my model of a two-tier system, they could, they could build and take over employer-sponsored care. Um, they could build that second-tier model that is not going to be available for a while you know, where will they be in 10 years? I don't know, but maybe in 10 years, they've built the case and the model across the country where other employers can sign up for that and everybody gets pretty decent care depending upon, you know, how much they want to spend. And then, um, and of course they're going to do it with the technology first and a virtual care first model. So I think that can, uh, coupled with consumer demand, coupled with the technology that's built either in that shop 
or by Apple, Microsoft, Google, you know, Salesforce, whoever the big dogs yeah. are that are that are building the technologies, is going to create the higher, more attractive tier of healthcare and and make that available. Yeah, I'd buy that. I think those are those groups we discussed are the are the right groups, and I do think that they will make a difference. And and then who knows? In ten years, they may kind of become incumbents in this in this whole market so i think it makes a lot of sense yeah and i think that's well, the direction and i think that this is probably going to come across negative i'm going to get calls from people but i think if we want to if we want to see what um medicare for all is going to look like then all we need to do is really look at medicaid right now yeah um and even even some of the medicare population you know this is i shared this as part of my story um as an entrepreneur not paying myself and trying to get health care um my, my family, my kids ended up in, in CHIP and Medicaid. And I can tell you what kind of care that is. And it's not something that, um, that employers are going to want to, to sponsor. Um, and it's not that it's, it's not that it's terrible. It's, um, it was but very valuable for us to have. I think employers are going to be adamant about offering something that's on a on a higher well that's such a level. that's such a big it plays such a big role in recruit it's kind of sad actually I mean, I, yeah i mean when i when i was at my former employer we they we rolled out so many different added benefits just to recruit people because they were competing in san francisco with facebook and twitter and instagram and you could do anything i mean so so i yeah i i, I mean we can talk about it is is it being a baseline <laughs> but the problem with it being a baseline is that it's contracting with providers and providers who they're going to have to make a choice. Do I want to serve, you know, a very low margin business or do I want to, you know, serve a a premium business? And we have all those tiers in healthcare today because we have Medicaid, we have Medicare, we have employer sponsored health insurance. And then, you know, we have, um, we have the elite healthcare. I mean, if you've got enough money, you can pay $30,000 for, um, uh, you know, a private doctor to fly around the country to, to take care of you and, and, you know, chauffeur you into the, the, you know, suite at MD Anderson if you need it. So, um, I don't think those top tiers go away. No, I don't think they ever will. No, and well, I don't think they should, by the way. Yeah. Well, um, I think we've covered that article pretty well. Um, go read that article. Tell us what you think. Um, we'll, we'll include it in the show notes. We'll, we'll drop in some of the mentions that we, uh, that we casually introduced here. Um, Quite anyway, a bit. Yeah, we, we, we dropped a lot in. No, I think I think we covered it well. Um, so hey, one we could thing, be wrong too. You never know. I, I'm going to listen to this in ten years if it's still on I, podcasting. We just spark a conversation, and maybe yeah. I, if we piss two people off, I'll be happy. <laughs> That's your goal. <laughs> uh, so I think another Not thing really. we want to do um, when we have these conversations again. So we'll be alternating with an interview, and then and then a kind of a conversation on a on a current event, um, ideally around the health fail model, health fail. Uh, and we're going to end it with kind of some tips, some ideas, some thoughts, uh, maybe a good podcast or a book or an article that we recently read. So I'll, uh, I'll what, start it off. What are you, what are you listening to right now? Yeah. So, so something that I uh, listened to Saturday while mowing the lawn for my daughter's first birthday party was a, a podcast that Dax Shepard has. It's called armchair expert. You don't think of, of Dax Shepard as a as a as an intellectual necessarily, but if you listen to his podcast, you might be proven wrong. 
Um, it was actually a, a really interesting podcast. He's he's pretty knowledgeable. And in this conversation, he talked to uh, a, a psycholo- psychological researcher, psychologist at the University of Washington named Dr. John Gottman. Um, we actually had a book of his on, chi- on, on parenting at my house. I didn't even know until after I heard the podcast. But it's a great, uh, great podcast. It's almost two hours, but they discuss... Quite a bit. They talk about predicting marital success just by listening to a, a couple talk for five to fifteen minutes, and they were able to pre- predict success of that marriage up to like 90 percent. Wow! Crazy, crazy. It's all about how you treat your your spouse in terms of how you deal with an argument, how you talk about topics. Really, really interesting. They talked about um, the ways men and women view sex, a father's crucial role to a child, four horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, and really fostering curiosity. So if you have a chance, I highly recommend it on your your, uh, drive home to check out that that podcast. It's Armchair Expert, and I'll put a link to the interview with Dr. John Gottman in the the show notes. What about you? Any good reading material you got? Any podcasts? Yeah, so I'm going to take the opportunity to plug uh, my good friend's book, who I think debuts tomorrow. So we're sitting here on April 1st, April 2nd. Um, Mr. Ivo Nelson, a great friend and mentor, uh, has published a book called Love-Based Culture. Um, I was actually a reviewer of the book, so I've read it once and uh, met him Saturday, and he gave me the you know first signed copy and um, looked through it, and, and it's changed a little bit since I reviewed it. So I'm really looking forward to rereading Love-Based Culture, and we're actually bringing him in to talk at the Karis Group on Friday and uh, distribute and share his book with with uh, uh, all the team here. So if you're interested in how to build a love-based culture, I'd highly recommend Ivo Nelson's book uh, on that note. Awesome. Well, I think we're at the end. Uh, last thing I wanted to throw out there was uh, keep an eye out for our next episode. We had the chance to sit down with Dr. Razu Shrestha. Razu, Razu. Razu. We have some great names in these interviews we've been doing. Uh, he's the Chief Strategy Officer and Executive Vice President at Atrium Health. Recently left UPMC mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh. Uh, and we had a chance to sit, to sit down with him for about a 15-minute conversation that was as always, fascinating when you talk to Razu, and we're going to be releasing that one on April 18th. So every two weeks, we'll, we'll release a show alternating between a conversation on a current health fail or topic and an interview with uh, someone that we really respect. So you have to endure Stephen and I yep. just talking about you know nonsense and whether you disagree with us or not, and then you'll get a highlight every other week. So yep. don't skip us though. Don't don't use that to skip us because we'll talk about fascinating stuff. What do they always say? Rate review. Something like that. Do that. Yeah. We're going to get better at this as, as we do it longer. So. Rate and review us. All right. Thanks for listening. God bless. See you next time. Adios. Adios.